The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. So if you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Hunger and thirst are interesting things. Like on the one hand, they're the most general of desires uh, that need to be met in order for us to simply survive. But on the other hand, they can make us feel a craving that's so specific, it can only be satisfied by one thing, like hummus. That's, uh, that's what my wife, Holly, craved when she was pregnant with Asher. I don't know why pregnancy cravings are legendary, but even if you've never been pregnant before, which I have not, even if you haven't, we all know what this is like. We all know what it's like to be hungry and thirsty for something specific. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Jesus uses this general human experience of hunger and thirst to describe a specific desire, a desire for righteousness. And again, I think that this is something that we can all relate to, isn't it? Like, is righteousness not something we all crave personally and globally? Like, personally. Personally, do we not all feel something's wrong with me? Something's broken, and I I want it to be made right. I want to live life rightly. We have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness personally, but not just personally, also globally. Do we not all feel that the world is broken? We sing that. When we sing the song, Is He Worthy? The first words are, do you feel the world is broken? And we all go, we do. We all feel the brokenness of the world. We want it to be made right. We want injustices corrected. We want pandemics ended. We are hungry and thirsty for righteousness to reign globally. My question this morning is, does that hunger and thirst for righteousness starve your faith or feed it? Does that hunger and thirst for righteousness starve your faith or feed it? Does does that desire for this broken world and this broken self to be made right, does that end up leading you towards despair or towards joy? Shades, with, uh, with all that's happened over these last two years, personally, for each of us, globally, for for all of us, with all that's happened, have we not grown hungrier and thirstier than ever for righteousness? For things to be made right. Is that hunger starving your faith? Causing you to doubt? Tempting you to deconstruct everything that you have ever believed? Or is that hunger feeding your faith, leading you not to despair, but to deeper joy in Jesus? That's the crazy claim that Jesus himself makes in Matthew 5, 6. Look at it again. Blessed, makarios. We've said the best translation of that repeatedly is truly joyful. You want to know why? Go back and listen to the previous sermons in this series. But Jesus says truly joyful are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
There's a hunger and thirst for righteousness that, that feeds faith, feeds joy in Jesus. All of the Beatitude statements sound insane. Truly joyful are the poor, those who mourn, those who are gentle and run over and oppressed by the world, those who hunger and thirst. Truly joyful are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. How can this be true? How can hungering and thirsting for righteousness paradoxically fill us up? Hungering and thirsting is what happens when I'm empty. How can, it, how can it feed our faith, our joy in Jesus? That is our big general question. And to answer it, we've got to dig into the specifics of this beatitude. So let's read it again and dive into it together. Matthew 5 and verse 6. Truly joyful are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, I said just a moment ago that every human being has a hunger and thirst for righteousness, like both personally and globally. We want the brokenness in us and the brokenness in the world to be made right. We all share that general desire, but we differ as to what that means and what it looks like specifically. We all have different ideas of what it would look like for us and the world to be made right. Like, like, we all have our own definition of what righteousness means. So my question is, what does Jesus mean? Specifically, when he says, truly joyful are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What specific righteousness is he talking about? Now, as good Protestants which I know all of you are, when we read the word righteousness in the Bible, when you hear the word righteousness, our knee-jerk reaction is to think of the imputed righteousness of Christ. Fun theological party words for you to drop at your Christmas party. We tend to think of the imputed righteousness of Christ, how He took on my sin on the cross, paid the penalty of death, and gave me His righteous life, imputed, accredited His righteousness to my account so that I am made right with God. That's what we tend to think about when we hear the word righteousness. That's not a bad reflex to have. But the word righteousness, like almost every word in existence, has multiple meanings, multiple definitions. So we've got to ask what does Jesus mean right here? Is he saying, truly joyful are those who hunger and thirst for the imputed righteousness of Christ, to be made right with God by the righteousness of Christ, for they will be satisfied. Shades, that statement might be theologically true, but I don't think that's what Jesus means. I don't think that's what he means for a lot of reasons, but most basically, that's not the way the Gospel of Matthew uses the word righteousness. Matthew actually uses the word righteousness pretty consistently. Consistently, always to clearly mean that which accords with God's kingdom. What is righteousness? It's that which accords, lines up with, Goes along with, not against the grain, of God's kingdom, God's will. We can apply that definition both personally and globally. So in Matthew, we could say personal righteousness 
is me living in accordance with God's kingdom, living in accordance with his will, the, the way he created us to be. We see this clearly later in the sermon. Jesus is going to tell us later in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek to live in line with God's kingdom, his will, his way. That's righteousness. In context there in Matthew 6, interestingly, Jesus is actually saying, don't worry so much about what you will eat or drink. Seek to live in accordance with the kingdom. Be hungry and thirsty for that. For righteousness. In Matthew, personal righteousness is living in accordance with God's kingdom. And in Matthew Global righteousness, and we're not just talking about personal, but global. Global righteousness is this world being in accordance with God's will, the way it was created to be. Ultimately, that means his kingdom coming here. Again, later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to tell us to pray for this. In Matthew 6, in verse 10, he tells us to pray, your kingdom come. What does that mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for this. Be hungry and thirsty for this. Interestingly, the very next thing he goes to in that prayer is hunger. Give us this day our daily. It's almost like thinking about the kingdom of God makes him hungry. Hunger and thirst for this, for righteousness, global righteousness is this world being in accordance with god's will which ultimately happens when his kingdom comes shades do you see the specific righteousness that jesus says a hunger and a thirst for will feed your joy it's not It's not just a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in general. No, it's a hunger and a thirst for a specific righteousness that will actually feed your joy. What righteousness? The righteousness of God. His will. His kingdom. That's the only righteousness that satisfies. Perhaps. Hang with me right here. Perhaps the reason that our hunger and thirst for righteousness, we say we all hunger and thirst for us and the world to be made right, perhaps the reason that our hunger and thirst for righteousness leads us to despair instead of joy, perhaps the reason it starves our faith instead of feeds it, is that we are not hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of God, but for a righteousness all our own. Do you follow that? We, We said earlier, we all have different ideas about what it would look like for us and the world to be made right. We all have different ideas of what righteousness means because ultimately we all believe righteousness is that which accords with my kingdom, with my will. Ultimately, that's the righteousness that all of us are thirsty for personally and globally. Personally, I'm thirsty for all things to accord in my own personal life exactly the way that I think they should be. 
That's what would satisfy. God, if you could just get on page with that, that would be great. I know exactly what would make my life right. I know what would fix my life. God, if you would just live in line with my plans, if you just give me the spouse that I want, give me the kids that I want, give me the singleness that I want, or the job that I want. If you just take away this temptation when I want you to, and let me give in to it guilt-free when I want to. In general, if you just let me do whatever it is that I want and make that bring satisfaction, then all would be right. Personally, God, just do that which accords with my kingdom. And not just personally, God, that's also my desire globally. Because if I'm honest, I know how to fix all the problems of this world. That's what I've learned from Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, that everybody knows how to fix all the problems of the world. God, I know how to fix all the problems of the world, but my political party figured it out. So if Jesus could just be our mascot and endorse all of our policies, that would satisfy me. Globally, God, just do what accords with my kingdom. Shades, is that not the righteousness that we hunger and thirst for and when god doesn't satisfy that it starves our faith the reason our hunger and thirst for righteousness leads to starvation instead of satisfaction to despair instead of joy is that we are hungering and thirsting after a righteousness that could never satisfy a righteousness of our own making our hunger and thirst for us in the world to be made right shades those are good god-given impulses and instincts the problem is we're just trying to satisfy them with the wrong thing it's it's like me trying to, trying to satisfy my desire for coffee in the morning with decaf. Doesn't, doesn't work. That ever happened to you? Like somebody brought you coffee and it was decaf, and you're like, why? Why would you do this to such a glorious thing? Take away. Okay, sorry. Coffee's on the brain this morning. You can't satisfy the desire for caffeinated coffee with decaf. It doesn't work. And our desire that we all feel for things to be made right can never be satisfied by a decaf righteousness of our own making. Shades, there is only one righteousness that can satisfy the hunger of your heart and slake the thirst of your soul. That is the righteousness of God. And in Matthew 5, and verse 6, that's the righteousness that Jesus invites you to hunger and thirst for. Personally and globally. I think His invitation is to both. For you to hunger and thirst for your life personally to be in accordance with God's kingdom and for the world globally to be in accordance with God's kingdom. I think he invites you to hunger for both. Let me show them to you one at a time. First, personally. Personally, this is actually where I think Jesus' primary emphasis falls right here. This is what his emphasis is going to be on throughout the entirety of the sermon. 
before we ever look outward at how the world needs to be made right, how others need to be made right. Jesus is going to constantly call us to look first and start with ourselves. To check out the log in our own eye before we go around picking out specks out of other people's. And I think that's where the main emphasis falls right here. Personally, Jesus invites you to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness personally. In other words, he invites you to crave living in line with his kingdom. To desire living in line with his will. To want a life of wholehearted devotion to Christ. I think we can see that clearly because over the past few weeks, have we not seen that's what this whole list of Beatitudes is actually about? We've said repeatedly, this whole list of Beatitudes is an invitation into kingdom life, a kingdom life of wholehearted devotion to Christ. We know that's what this whole list is about because that's what brackets the list. That's how this list begins and ends. It begins with the poor in spirit, which we've seen repeatedly. The poor in spirit are those who are wholeheartedly devoted to Christ no matter the cost. That's how the list begins. That's also how it ends. It begins with the poor in spirit. It it ends with the persecuted. The persecuted are those who are wholeheartedly devoted to Christ no matter the cost. That's how the Beatitudes begin and end, and that's what they're about everywhere in between. This list, it's an invitation to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for wholehearted devotion to Christ no matter the cost, even if that leads to poverty. The poor in spirit in verse 3 still cling to Christ, even if it leads to literal poverty, because they know they're not ultimately poor. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So even if they suffer and mourn, as in verse 4, they still cling to Christ because they know ultimate comfort is theirs in the kingdom. So in verse 5, they cling to Christ in meekness and gentleness because even if this world oppresses and takes everything from them, they will inherit everything, the entire earth they will inherit in Christ's kingdom. So in verse 6, they cling to Christ, even if that leads to literal hunger and thirst. I do think that's included in the meaning of this verse. This whole list is about clinging to Christ no matter the cost, even if it leads you to lose the very things you think your life depends on, food and drink, even if it leads to hunger and thirst, they cling to Christ even if it costs them the necessities of life because they're not ultimately worried about what they will eat or drink, Matthew 6, 31 says. No, they have a deeper hunger and thirst to seek first Christ, his kingdom, and his righteousness, Matthew 6, 33 says. They are ultimately hungry and thirsty for a righteous life of wholehearted devotion to Christ and they will be satisfied, Shades. Christ died to guarantee that. When your hunger and thirst is for his rights, a life that is in line with his kingdom, wholehearted, devoted to Christ, that hunger and thirst, it will be satisfied. Christ died to guarantee it. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Christ died, Shades, not just to pardon your sin, but this verse says to purchase every ounce of power to live a righteous life, a life of wholehearted devotion to Him. That power is delivered into your life right now by the Holy Spirit of God. That's the consistent testimony of the entire New Testament. 
Second, just one for instance, 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about how as we behold the, the glory of Jesus, the beauty, the goodness, and greatness of Jesus through this word, the whole, as we behold the glory of Jesus through this word, the Holy Spirit transforms us to become what we behold from one degree of glory to another. In other words, through this word, as we behold Jesus, the Spirit's making us more like Jesus. Transforming us to live a righteous life of wholehearted devotion to Christ. And one day, that transformation will be brought to consummation because we will not just behold Jesus in part through this word, we will behold him in full face to face and our hunger and thirst for righteousness will finally be filled. 1 John 3 and verse 2. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Hunger and thirst satisfied fully and finally. Shades you can foretaste it right now through the Spirit's work in you right now. That's why this hunger and thirst doesn't starve your faith. No, it feeds it because it's a hunger and thirst that you know will be satisfied. You foretasted the satisfaction. Again, it's like coffee. Get used to it. We're coming back to coffee several times this morning. It's like my desire for coffee. If every drink... I try is decaf that could lead me to despair. My desire for caffeinated coffee will never be fulfilled. But if I can smell the real thing brewing, and if I can, can sample a foretaste of caffeinated glory, then, then my desire for coffee doesn't lead me to despair. It makes me truly joyful that full satisfaction is coming. Shades, do you see how that works? Shades, don't dedicate your life to a decaf righteousness that can never satisfy. Don't let this world determine what you are ultimately hungry and thirsty for. Don't let the world determine that. Let this Word determine that. Let this Word determine what you are ultimately hungry and thirsty for. Through this Word, the Spirit will make you smell the real righteousness of Christ brewing. And by His power, you'll even get a foretaste of it so that your hunger and thirst for more doesn't starve your faith, it feeds it. Shades, Jesus invites you to hunger and thirst for righteousness personally, to, to crave living a life in line with His kingdom. A life of wholehearted devotion to Christ. And Jesus invites you to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness globally. I told you I think his invitation right here is to both. And he invites you to thirst and hunger for God's righteousness personally and globally. We saw personally, now second, globally. Jesus invites you to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness globally. In other words, to crave a world in line with his kingdom. I think that's included here because of the Old Testament background of this beatitude. Jesus is drawing language from the second stanza of Psalm 107. You can go back and read the whole psalm later. It's a psalm, again, 
this afternoon, Psalm 107, everybody knows, get your Earl Grey tea, or, or today get coffee, I'm on a coffee kick, make sure it's not decaf. Sit down, read some Psalm 107. That's an afternoon waiting to happen right there. Psalm 107, are you all awake this morning? Everybody with me? Sorry, I don't know if I'm moving too fast and my sarcasm's just like going, whoo! But anyway, yeah, get some coffee, caffeinated for sure, everybody. All right. The background of this beatitude, the second stanza, Psalm 107. If you go and read that psalm, it's, it's, it's a psalm where God, it describes God's restoration of his people from exile. How, how he brought them back into the promised land. And I'll read you just part of it. Listen to, to verse 5 of Psalm 107. Listen to how it describes the people's longing for restoration. Hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. They weren't where they were supposed to be. They weren't in their land. The world was not right. It was wrong. It was broken. And they hungered and thirsted for rightness to be restored. Listen to how verse 9 describes the Lord's action when He does restore them says, for he satisfies, satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Hungry, thirsty, satisfaction. In our beatitude, Matthew 5 and verse 6, Jesus echoes all of that language of exile and restoration. He does it on purpose to reveal what he is doing on a much grander scale. We all, the entire human race, have experienced exile. Exile from Eden. And through the death and resurrection of Christ, Jesus is going to bring about a restoration, redemption of all of creation. We who wander as exiles now, hungry and thirsty souls that feel like they're about to faint, He satisfies the longing soul. He'll fill the hungry with good things, with the best thing, the completion of redemption and new creation. This is what the exile and restoration in the Old Testament pointed forward to anyway. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to fulfill that picture on its big grand scale what it was always meant to be i'm here to bring about the redemption and restoration of all of creation shades jesus is inviting you in matthew 5 and verse 6 by echoing all that language he is inviting you to be hungry and thirsty for that hungry and thirsty for the coming of his kingdom for righteousness globally do do not all of the beatitudes stir up such a hunger and thirst for righteousness globally, don't they stir that up with all of their promises about the coming kingdom? Their, their promises of a kingdom that will end poverty, of comfort that will conclude mourning, of an inheritance that overturns oppression and satisfaction that stuffs the hungry and fills the thirsty. Jesus is inviting us to desire that, crave that, pray for that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Shades. Jesus invites you to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness globally to crave a world in line with his kingdom. 
Not a world in line with our kingdom. One where we're convinced that our brand of politics will finally fix everything. That decaf righteousness will never satisfy. Shades, you could get your political party holding the majority in every branch of government we've got. In every policy you have ever desired, you could get it all to pass. And your hunger and thirst for righteousness still won't be satisfied. And if that's where your hope lies, you will find yourself disillusioned and despairing. Hungering and thirsting for a world in line with our kingdom won't feed your faith. It will starve it. Jesus invites us to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness where everything accords with His kingdom. That is a hunger and thirst that will feed our faith because it will be satisfied. We live bearing witness to that fact, that reality. As I talk about politics and all of these different things, I am not telling you to be uninvolved in any of these things. I'm not telling you not to pursue peace, righteousness, justice, any of these things. No, we should pursue all of that, but know why we should. We don't pursue any of that to bring or build our own kingdom. We pursue all of that to bear witness to the kingdom that's coming. Shades, we fight poverty to bear witness to a kingdom that's coming that will put poverty to an end. We we fight racism to bear witness to a kingdom that's coming that crushes racism. If you live your life fighting these things because you believe you can bring your own kingdom and cure them, that will end with disillusionment and despair. But if you live your life fighting these things to faithfully bear witness to a kingdom that's coming, you will feed your faith because that's a goal you are empowered to complete. You are empowered to live a life faithfully bearing witness to the kingdom for the entirety of your life until that kingdom comes. You are invited by Christ to hunger and thirst for His kingdom. That's a hunger and thirst that will feed your faith because it will be satisfied. Christ died and rose to guarantee that shades. He died and rose to guarantee that His kingdom will come. Your hunger and thirst for His global righteousness will be satisfied. According to 2 Corinthians 15, Jesus' resurrection was the beginning of new creation, and He has promised to bring that work to consummation. 2 Peter 3.13 According to His promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Revelation 11.5 foresees the day when that becomes a reality. And this is the declaration of all of heaven. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Hunger and thirst satisfied. Fully and finally. And shades, we already have gotten a foretaste. Do you know that we have already gotten a foretaste of that coming kingdom? How? Through the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ 
is that age to come breaking into the present age giving us a foretaste of the reality that sin death and all of its effects will end shades can you smell that coffee brewing from the doorway of the empty tomb can you foretaste it because that resurrection life is at work in you personally the spirit empowering it this is why this hunger and thirst don't starve our faith no they feed it because it is a hunger and a thirst that will be satisfied it's it's like this shade shades my um my grandmother passed away recently um, and ad- actually, after the second service, Holly and I are going to be driving to Texas today. You can pray for us because the funeral's on Tuesday. And Shades, I'm, I am sorrowful over the death of my grandmother. But I am also rejoicing. Because of the hope of the resurrection. Those things, sorrow, joy, I feel those things simultaneously. They don't cancel each other out. Sorrow doesn't cancel the joy. The joy doesn't cancel the sorrow. I am really sorrowful over the death of my grandmother. But that sorrow ultimately feeds my joy because I know that sorrow will end in resurrection. Shades, see how this parallels what we've been talking about this morning. We really do hunger and thirst for this broken world to be made right. And there's a real pain and sorrow of hunger and thirst there. The sorrow is real. But we are truly joyful because of the hope of the coming kingdom we feel these things simultaneously they don't cancel each other out please please hear me this morning when i talk about hunger and thirst for us and the world to be made righteous and that that feeds our faith it feeds our joy in jesus I'm not saying that it feeds our joy in Jesus in such a way that we end up denying that the hunger and the thirst is real. And the pain and the sorrow is real. But even though that hunger and thirst and sorrow and pain is real, it does not lead us to despair. No. Shades, we do hunger and thirst for this broken world to be made right. That hunger, thirst, the sorrow, it's real. But we're truly joyful because of the hope of the coming kingdom feel those things simultaneously they don't cancel each other out we really hunger and thirst for righteousness but that hunger and thirst paradoxically feeds our faith our joy in jesus because we know that hunger and thirst ends in satisfaction shades jesus invites you to this hunger and thirst a hunger and thirst that actually feeds your faith Feed your joy in Jesus instead of starving it. Hear and heed the invitation. Truly joyful are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God's righteousness, personally, globally. Truly joyful are they, for they will be satisfied.